0: Sometimes you just want the quick facts. No opinions, no speculation. I'm Claire Thornton, an audio editor with USA Today. My team works around the clock to bring you the Five Things podcast. Every morning, me and my co-host Taylor Wilson help you know what to keep an eye out for that day. We always have a fresh mix of stories, from politics to entertainment to sports, covering all parts of the country. On Sundays, you can lean back with in depth episodes about stories you may have heard earlier that week. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows and start listening to five things today.
1: Inside
2: Florida. Biggest newspaper company. I'm John Kennedy, coming to you from Gannett's Florida Capital Bureau in Tallahassee. And I'm joined this week by Mark Harper, the politics reporter for the Daytona Beach News Journal, and by Ryan McKinnon of the Sarasota Herald Tribune. Ryan covers K-12 schools for the paper, and uh, he'll give us some insights into what's happening in those battlegrounds of the COVID war, known as classrooms. Uh, and, you know, it, it was Rod Stewart who once sang, it's late September and I really should be back in school. But but here, some of our usual cast of characters is away. But um, don't fear. Uh, Zach Anderson and Antonio Fins are expected to join us again next week. But for now, though, uh, we're going to talk some about redistricting. That uh, once-a-decade task facing the state legislature, which uh, last time around took years to settle on new boundaries for state house, uh, senate, and congressional districts. And, of course, it also took three years of lawsuits. And um, 11 Florida school districts are being called to the principal's office next week, uh, with these districts having defied Governor Ron DeSantis' mask limit in classrooms. They're being called before the state board of education, to decide what to do about their uh, violation of the bo- boss's order, but uh, but first, you hear that music? That that can mean only one thing. It's uh, it's time for us to pick a number that figures in Florida politics this week.
1: Mark, uh, do, do you have a number for us? Yes, I do. Uh, it's uh, seven hundred fifty-six thousand. All
2: right. That's kind of big and grand. We'll find out a little bit more about that in a while. Uh, And Ryan, surely uh, you snuck a number out of one of those classrooms you've been covering. I did. My number is seven. Seven. Simple. Mine is a, uh, I'm going decimal on you. Uh, Mine is a 1.5, but uh, we'll be back a little bit later in the show to tell you what these numbers uh, mean and what they're about in Florida politics this week. But um, the legislature uh, just last week took its first steps toward what is going to be a long process of redrawing uh, the congressional Senate and House maps for the state. Uh, it began with uh, House and Senate redistricting chairmen uh, holding hearings, uh, basically a sort of get-to-know-you meetings uh, and going over some of the, some of the, the basics of redistricting. Uh, but one thing that was kind of unique was uh, both of them echoed uh, that, that they'll f- uphold the law, and, uh, and, and that in and of itself was news. Uh, Mark, tell us a little bit about why these Republican lawmakers are making these declarations and uh, turning these hearings into what sounds like a, I don't know, a casting call for next season's uh, Law & Order or something.
1: Uh, Well, Senator Ray Rodriguez, who heads up the Senate reapportionment committee, said Republicans learned some hard lessons from the last uh, redistricting from 2012. Uh, After that uh, process, a judge found uh, that political operatives had conspired to manipulate and influence the process, and that judge ruled that they, quote, made a mockery in his words, uh, of the legislature's process. And and Rodriguez took the extraordinary step, I thought, uh, of reading from that ruling at his first committee hearing. Uh, Both he and uh, House Committee Chair Tom Leake pledged to uh, follow the narrow path set out by Florida's Constitution and the Voting Rights Act and case law to create, you know, compact legal districts. Uh, what was unsaid, I think, is that Republicans are not going to shy away from drawing districts that at the very least don't harm their uh, harm them when it comes to time for, real, for, for elections next year. Uh, they, they don't want to create more Democratic majority districts, which, you know, might be a tough task, considering there are still more registered Democrats than Republicans uh, across the state. Yeah, for now, though so that that number is shrinking
2: uh, dramatically, it seems. And uh, so I, I guess the, 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 the takeaway is, according to the leaders at this early stage, no more mockery. <laughs> but of course, Florida's population didn't grow evenly across the state either. Um, the I-4 corridor area that you wrote about is where much of the growth has occurred in the state. And uh, that's where we could see some real political developments, right? That could be yet another battleground.
1: Yeah, uh, Osceola County, which is home to hearts uh, of uh, Disney World, and, uh, you know, its backyard is Kissimmee. Uh, that area has seen an explosion in growth uh, the fastest in the fastest growing county in the state with a big push coming from uh, people arriving from Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria in 2017 um, you know other counties along the I-4 corridor including Orange and Polk uh, also have seen growth um, and you know so the state has to add one congressional seat um uh, it, Just so, by population growth. Just by yeah, because district. of population growth and and you know the new calculus is that every con- every congressional district will need to have uh, seven hundred sixty nine thousand two hundred twenty one people in each district, give or take one, I think. <laughs> and uh, so experts are you know kind of anticipating that the 9th Congressional District, which is held by uh, Democrat Darren Soto, will be the most likely to see drastic changes and some of the other nearby districts, including Stephanie Murphy's District 7, will most likely be among the other dominoes uh, that, that tumble. Yeah,
2: yeah. Murphy's district is one that has been held by Republicans in the past, and uh, she was uh, a Democrat that flipped it. Uh, and of course, the Republicans would like to win it back. Uh, though I guess they're dealing with, as you point out, you have a you have a large contingent of maybe Democratic-leaning voters that are in that current uh, District 9, that Darren Soto seat. So where do they go uh, as they as they create a, a new district? It, 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 it would seem hard to imagine that the Republican legislature would be willing to create a new congressional district that is overly Democratic-leaning. You'd think they'd try to create one that's a toss-up. So... Um, This is a big mosaic across the state, because indeed, also another factor is uh, there are some districts uh, that are shrinking, that that don't have enough uh, population in them, especially uh, North Florida and down into uh, even some of the urban areas. Miami has a couple of districts that are like that, underpopulated. So uh, they all have to change as well. But uh, it's it's, going to be a crazy time, and it's going to take a long time to sort this out, I think. Uh, you know, when when we talk about battlegrounds, you don't usually think of uh, schools that way, but. Uh with COVID-19 and becoming such a factor across the state, and uh, going into the classrooms with the return to school this year, um, in, in terms of uh, you know in-person learning fully, last year we had more remote learning. This year, it's everybody back in class. Yet the, the battle over masks is relentless. With uh, Governor Ron DeSantis insisting that parents choose whether to mask their kids, and and those districts that are requiring them. Uh, with exemptions only for medical reasons, uh, they're they're in opposition to the governor, and those eleven districts that have defied Desantis are going to have to answer to the Board of Education next Thursday. Uh, Ryan, w- w- what do we expect to hear out of this uh, this this you know court that they're going to have?
0: Well, I mean, at this point, so 11 districts with mask mandates in place have been summoned to the Board of Education. And this is probably going to be similar to what Alachua and Broward went through last month. Um, Both counties imposed mask mandates, and uh, they were the first two that uh, were called to the table. And uh, they both got hit with a a small reduction in state funding because of their mask policies. But the, the crux of it isn't really whether school districts will lose funding. It's whether they have the uh, the desire to continue this fight. Um, the 11 districts that are being called include six of the state's largest, um, and so they represent the majority of kids in Florida. And some, like Orange County, have said they're holding firm to their mandates, the superintendent and the board chair in Orange put out a statement essentially saying uh, we are sticking to our guns on this and we are going to continue the fight to keep this mask mandate in place. But then there's others uh, like Sarasota that have already showed they really don't want to keep this fight going. Sarasota added an item to its meeting agenda on Tuesday to vote to repeal its mandate. Um, And so basically the, the fight is over whether school districts that have mandates can get punished and if so how badly and uh the boards that have imposed mandates have proven that you can defy the governor on this but that it's a massive headache both in implementation and in the legal fight so i think the big question is just how you know how much of a stomach do these districts have to keep this fight going over a mask mandate that is hard to impose and is just so politically divisive. Yeah. And now Sarasota, which was the biggest
2: Trump county in Florida, to uh, enact a mask mandate, they're they're dialing back their they may dial back their mask mandate. I guess what because of uh, lower uh, community spread of, of the virus, right? I mean, it's sort of a,
0: a health reason that they're turning it back now. Yeah, a few districts did this where they they built sort of a. Uh an automatic provision in the policy that said if the community spread is a certain level, then uh, the masks will become optional again. And in Sarasota, that metric was uh, 8% daily positivity rate. It hit that earlier or I, I guess late last week and so on Monday this week, masks became optional again in, Florida, in Sarasota and uh, I was talking to a bunch of teachers and as soon as masks become optional I mean in high schools especially they basically become non-existent uh, No, none of the kids are going to wear them if it's optional which is just I mean love it or hate it that's just kind of the reality so Right, right, and this has been a lengthy power
2: fight between you know the governor's office, who wants to exert control over how you know all the mitigation measures across the state. It's just the way he has banned masks from local governments being you know enacting them as well. But um, the the school issue has been one that is really a dividing parents as well. I know, and and, and Ryan, I want to ask you too about how are districts dealing with. Uh, the state's uh, surgeon general's new uh, order that parents choose whether to quarantine their child if they've been exposed to uh, someone testing positive for COVID-19. Uh, the, the, the new surgeon general, uh, Dr. Joseph Ladapo, uh, he has really uh, scaled back uh, the, the what had been the pretty strict uh, quarantining orders in most counties.
0: I don't, yeah I don't. I think this fight is going to be one that uh, is played out behind the scenes much more than the mask fight. The, ma- the mask issue can become somewhat performative on both sides with um, you know both sides taking their stand very publicly and it's easy for the public to understand whether a mask mandate is in place or not whereas deciding who does and who doesn't have to get quarantined it's something that happens at the administrative level. It's a much messier decision it's hard to know what's actually going on and um So, in talking to school board members here in Sarasota, uh, their response to it has seemed more along the lines of seeing how it plays out, seeing if there is, if they conclude that as a result of this new policy, there's more spread in schools. And if there is, board members have talked about possibly tweaking uh, some of the rules within schools, like if, if a kid has been exposed. Maybe they can be quarantined at school, and they can be in a, a classroom by themselves, or in a classroom with other kids who have been exposed. You know, trying to figure out if they can do it that way. I don't. I'm, I don't think there's the appetite or the uh, sort of the optics would be favorable for a big public fight over the the new quarantine policy okay yeah yeah well you know like Desantis, uh, ladapo is from
2: the herd immunity school that downplays the need for vaccinations and mitigation tactics but they're kind of outliers when it comes to public health but it sounds like what you're saying is that districts may not as vigorously defy the administration on this latest order as they did with masks
0: Yeah, and the other thing is uh, the district's legal strategy had been heavily based on the Parental Bill of Rights um, because the Parents' Bill of Rights uh, basically says parents have the right to make decisions regarding their child's health, etc., except when there's a compelling state interest and it's narrowly tailored. And so the districts were really hanging on that second part, saying, you know, there is a compelling state interest. Our measures are narrowly tailored. But the latest orders, uh, the governor's strategy, is no longer citing the Parental Bill of Rights as the basis of their legal argument. So that already caused an administrative law judge to toss... Um, an earlier lawsuit saying that, you know, the legal arguments have changed and um, if the governor is not saying the printed bill of rights then the district's argument is no longer valid, essentially. So the the the, the legal fighting is just it's constantly evolving and um, the district's basis has been severely undercut by the latest orders. Uh yeah. well we'll have to see how Thursday and the
2: uh, the the when the 11 districts on masks are called to the carpet before the Board of Education, which of course is a governor-appointed uh, panel, so uh, it's not too surprising if they uh, come down pretty hard on the districts that have been uh, going against uh, Ron DeSantis. Well, I think I hear some that number-picking music coming back. Let, let, let's go ahead and tell people what uh, what these numbers were all about. Mark, you came in with the biggest one out there, 756,000. What's that from?
1: Oh. You're muted, Mark. You're muted. Start over. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, it's actually a, a... It sounds like a big number, but really, uh, in context, I think it's, it's, it's interesting that uh, it's the number of all the people, all the people who lived in Florida in 1910, And to me, it's hard to fathom that Florida, which, uh, you know, where the entire state was inhabited by fewer people than the number of people who will be in one of Florida's 28 congressional districts after redistricting next year. Um, You know, just compare that to the state's 80 million visitors in 2020 an off year. It's a bit mind-blowing. That sure is, yeah. 110
2: years ago... Uh, there, there were all, not enough Floridians for what is uh, currently a, uh, going to be a congressional district. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. times have changed. And, uh, you know, th- th- those are the days that uh, Floridians were living off swamp cabbage, I guess, or whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, Ryan, you
0: came in with a seven. What's a seven? So, seven, uh, it's, it's a little silly, but uh, we're only seven weeks into the school year. And uh, it feels like it's been several months, you know, just from covering it. It's easy for me. I can't imagine what it's like for these administrators and teachers and um, the parents and everyone who has to deal with everything that's been going on. But uh, just, you know, to keep in mind, we're only seven weeks in. I'll use Sarasota as the example because that's the one I cover the most closely. But uh, we've already had 3,179 students test positive for covid and more than 6,000, 6,000 students have been uh, forced to quarantine, and uh, after an exposure. So we're just you know we're under two months into the school year, and we've already had um, you know mask mandates put in place. Mask mandates revealed hundreds of parents showing up at school board meetings uh, here in Sarasota. There was a mass medical exemption handout event that michael flynn the former uh, national security advisor for donald trump attended where families could get exemptions for their kids from chiropractors and from uh different types of doctors so it's just been a crazy start to the school year and i think everyone is really excited for when masks are not the chief issue uh that is dominating education but that's the reality right now i know yeah whatever happened to uh mathematics and uh History. Uh,
2: well, I came in with a 1.5, and Florida's population is expected to grow by 1.5 percent this year. Now, now here we are with October arriving, and anyone driving around the highways of Florida's coastal cities uh, knows that the, the the first of those seasonal residents, known as snowbirds, will be arriving as temperatures start to cool up north and our our fall colors change. You know, the, the arrival of license plates from New York, New Jersey, Connecticut and other places. But uh these seasonal visitors don't really count in our annual growth. Still the sp- state is expected to add about 330,000 new residents this year and that's under last year's 387,000 new arrivals, which was the state's biggest year for growth in f- 15 years. Uh that that, that was if you rewind that, you'll see that was right before the housing collapse that led to the Great Recession and kept the state's population influx uh, down for for a long time. Now, uh, you know, new migration, as it's known, is the driver of Florida's population as uh, deaths outnumber births in the state, you know, something that the pandemic sadly contributed to. But um, the arrival of these new residents is what fuels the state economy and keeps us growing. Uh, As we discussed earlier, we're getting a new congressional district out of it, too. Um, Florida, of course, uh, used to really be something when it came to annual growth, seeing it climb by 3% a year from uh, 1970 to the mid-'90s. But uh, those days are behind us. Now we're settling in for a period of growth that's around 1.3% for the next few years. And all of that growth... uh, expected for the rest of this decade is forecast to come from this net migration we're a retiree state and uh, births won't outnumber deaths for the foreseeable future um, but i'll stop there i don't want to stay on that spooky subject too long because uh we'll be doing a halloween show soon enough but uh, well that, that, that's about all the time we have for this week on inside florida politics And I'd like to thank our producer extraordinaire, uh, Chandler Heffel, who put this show together for us. He's filling in for our usual producer, Thomas Cordy, who was on uh, assignment this week. And thanks to all of our listeners for joining in. You know, fall here is a a nice break after our long, hot, humid summer. But even as the temperatures dip below eh, 80, remember, stay cool, Florida.